Matthew 6. And we want to read the Lord's Prayer. Praise God. Does it seem cold in here to you? Some people say yes. Some say it's perfect. Well, it seems cold to me. But anyway, we have kicked the heat up a little bit. So, Praise God. <clears throat> All right. You get warmed up while I preach, Brother Dahl says. So <clears throat> you take your liberty, clap your hands. and Now, don't do it just to keep warm because we do have the furnace going. <laughs> Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, starting with verse 8. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And you may be seated. <clears throat> then the Lord continues to speak, verse 14, For if you forgive men... Their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I want to preach this morning on repentance. Now, the reason why that I have chosen this subject, I prayed considerably concerning this last evening, and I just felt that God really wanted me to talk about this. So I would like for everyone as much as possible to pay careful attention to what we are trying to describe from a biblical standpoint this morning. Now, <clears throat> the Lord is telling us in verse 14, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I think that the Lord has laid down a particular principle here that is so very vital. People who are bitter can not be saved. See, if you get bitter and you have a non-forgiving spirit, you can not be saved. There is no way that you can be saved. And the way to get rid of bitterness is through repentance. And so you seek a humble role in life. He resists the proud, the Bible says. Pride goeth before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. And so a person who gets lifted up within himself and gets bitter because of the weaknesses of others, cannot be saved. In other words, Jesus was using this particular logic on people. If you do not have the ability to forgive people their trespasses, why do you think God should forgive you of yours? See? And the reason why he said this is because everybody has need of repentance. 
everybody. When Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, the promises unto you, to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, he said the promise of the Holy Ghost is for everyone. But notice when he quoted, I say when he quoted, notice when he laid down this particular principle, when he spoke of remission of sins, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you. Repent every one of you. Be baptized every one of you. Now, the promise is for every one of you. But if you do not repent, and you are not baptized, then naturally the promise of the Holy Ghost is not to you and for you. While the Holy Ghost is for you, if you want to be baptized of the Spirit or born of the Spirit, you cannot without repentance. Now, the Bible tells us in John the third chapter that every man is born and he reaches the place of condemnation. Jesus did not come to condemn man. I'd like to call your attention back to the early chapters of the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis, the third chapter, verse, <clears throat> verse 14. <clears throat> the serpent beguiled Eve, and of course she fell for his line of logic, and led her husband into sin, then God pronounces a curse upon the serpent. Now the serpent was a form of the devil, or the devil disguised himself in the form of a serpent. He came to Eve in the form of a serpent. Now, I'm not for sure what the serpent was. Some people say a snake. I'm, I'm not for sure it was a snake, but uh, I'm, I'm just not really for sure. So at this point in time, it would not be wise for me to speculate because I don't have a whole lot of time for that. But the Bible says this concerning the serpent. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, Upon thy belly shall thy go, and dust shall thy eat all the days of thy life. Now, Adam and Eve were formed from the dust of the earth. Now, the word Adam actually means red dirt or red dust. See? So he came from the dust of the earth or from the dirt of the earth. How did the Lord make Adam? The Bible says that he made him out of the ground, out of the earth. And then, of course, he breathed the breath of life upon him, and he became a living soul. But uh, he was made out of the dirt, out of the dust. Now, if you will turn with me, just keep your hand right there, and turn with me back to the passage of Scripture that I read in the book of Matthew. We'll notice what Jesus says in verse 10. He says, Thy kingdom come. Now, <clears throat> the Jews were longing for the day in which the kingdom of God would come. 
When the kingdom of God would come was a big question. How would it come was a big question. Jesus explained to the disciples when they inquired relative to his kingdom, he said the kingdom of God is within you. In other words, God was saying through Jesus, I will set up my kingdom in the heart and in the life of an individual. Now you see, that's exactly what you do when you repent. It is the destroying of the kingdom of Satan that has been established in your heart. It's the cleaning out of the, the old temple. It's the moving out of satanic forces so that God can come in and set up his kingdom in you. So when you repent, you thrust out the forces of iniquity. Now you've got to do more than just repent. You must be born of the Spirit. Because if you clean up the house or the temple and you leave it empty, Satan comes back. And he has seven likened to himself, the Bible says, and he seeks an entrance into the to your heart. And if it is empty, still empty, if the Spirit of the Lord is not there, then Satan moves in again. Once you repent, it is necessary that you be born of the Spirit. This is when God moves in and sets up His kingdom in your heart. Now notice what he says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, no, in earth. Why? Because the kingdom of God is set up in earthen vessels. See? And when he's saying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, he's talking about in mankind. You see, God does not dwell in temples made with the hands of men but in fleshly hearts. But nevertheless, the Scripture says, From dust thou came, and to dust thou shalt return. Now, Satan disguised himself in Genesis 3, 14, as a, in the form of a serpent and came. Now, the Bible says that his legs were stripped of him, a curse was pronounced upon him, and that he was to eat of the dust of the earth all the days of his life. Now that simply means that from the time in which the curse was pronounced upon Satan, and because that man yielded himself, that the robe of flesh, the body of flesh, see this is prophetically speaking, of the diet of Satan. Do you know what Satan works on? Do you know what he eats away at? He's like termites in a building when he eats away at your flesh and tempts you and tries you and persecutes you. The thief cometh not but to kill and steal and destroy. It's like worms that would infest a healthy tree in your lawn. We had a huge oak tree to die in our lawn. Brother Getz came out a couple of years ago and cut the thing down. 
All of the heart of the tree was eaten out. It was full of big carpenter ants. Piles of them came out. We took the branches of the tree down to the UW lab and they uh, ran some tests. They assured us that the tree had no real disease, that it was just the, the carpenter ants that had come in and eaten away. And you see, that's what sin does to the body. And the reason why that it is necessary that we repent is because Satan understands his program well and he is constantly seeking to destroy. Now, let's turn to John 14. And we will read a passage of Scripture here concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the devil wanted to destroy Jesus. Now, there's always been a question in the minds of various theologians as to whether Jesus could have sinned or not. Now, I personally think Jesus could have sinned. I think the whole purpose of him coming here was to overcome sin. If he could not have cut sin, then he would have already overcome sin. But he could have sinned. In the days of his flesh, he remained sinless. But notice what happened here in verse 27 through verse 31 of John 14. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, Give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now Jesus Christ set the example. Jesus Christ was the victor. Verse 28. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If ye love me, you would rejoice, because I said, I go unto the Father. For my Father is greater than I. In other words, the Spirit is greater than the flesh. He was speaking as, as a Son here. Jesus spoke both as a Son of God and also as God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? He said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. See, He spoke as both man and God. Here He is speaking as sonship or as a man. Verse 29, And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, you might believe. Verse 30, notice this, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. In other words, when the devil came to the Lord, somehow it appears that God allowed the devil just to look into the heart of Jesus. And so Jesus just kind of opened up his heart, and the devil looked in. Of course, the devil is a spirit, and perhaps can see in your heart anyway. And when he looked in the heart of Jesus, he saw nothing of himself in Jesus. And there was, was no part of that kingdom of the world... That is established in the hearts of men today that causes corruption and condemnation. None of that was in his heart. 
There was not one speck of iniquity in the heart of Jesus. It had already been taken care of. Of course, while he lived here, Jesus Christ was the second man, Adam. Jesus was born somewhat of a different fashion than the average man. When Jesus was placed here on this earth, he was placed here without the curse of sin and death. By that I mean, he was the second man, Adam. When Adam was placed on the earth, Adam was a pure individual with a pure heart. And he yielded to sin. All of his offsprings from the time that Adam and Eve first bore a son have been susceptible to the kingdom of Satan. And there is a time in which sin will flood their soul. And they cannot help it. But you see, Jesus being born in the same fashion that Adam was created did not suffer this condition. The choice became his own as Adam and Eve made the choice. But mankind today becomes a sinner automatically because of his connection with iniquity. Now I want to explain this a little bit uh, uh, closer, and I think maybe that this will help you to understand it. I made reference uh, several times in preaching of late in the book of Ecclesiastes, the first chapter, verse 7, and perhaps we can explain it a little more thoroughly this morning for better clarification. Ecclesiastes 1, 7 The Bible says, All the rivers run in the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Now, what Solomon is saying, he has given us a real discourse here on human life and man's susceptibility to sin. That's what the whole book is about. Now, we have a door here, and we have a door here, we have a door over there, and a door back here. We have four doors coming into this auditorium. Now, let's just pretend for a moment that this auditorium is the ocean. Okay? Now, there are four rivers running into this. River 1, River 2, River 3, and River 4. Okay? The rivers are running in. Let's pretend. You've got an imagination, haven't you? Okay? So this is River 1, River 2, River 3, River 4. And you see, the devil has a connection to the soul because of man's original sin. He has a connection. And there comes a day in which man makes a decision. There comes a day in which man begins to decide. But you see, sin will automatically flood into the heart. It's like river, a river that runs downhill. Water always seeks 
the lowest point of gravitation. It will not run uphill. It cannot run uphill. And sin will automatically enter into the soul just like water will automatically find its way to the ocean, the lowest point of gravitation on the earth. And because that Adam and Eve sinned, there is a connection with mankind to the spirit world. The devil has a connection to us and with us. And sin will automatically flood the soul. This is why the scripture says all have sinned. I mean every last one has sinned. And they have come short of the glory of God. I personally believe Jesus Christ was born in the fashion in which Adam was created. That there was a time in which Jesus deliberately chose whether he would sin or not. And he chose not to sin. In other words, it appears that God dammed up the rivers from his soul and gave him a time in which he could personally decide, just like Adam could decide. But you see, in making that decision, it was not a matter of do I or do I not. He was under extreme temptation. Extreme temptation. A lot of pressure was being applied. The water was about to break through the dam of the grace of God. But Jesus fortified the dams by saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written that you should worship God and Him alone should you serve. And so as a result, He lived His 33 and a half years on the face of the earth without the rivers of iniquity ever flooding into His soul. Now, when we say that the rivers were dammed up by the grace of God, you see, John the Baptist was born full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. Now, he was a forerunner of Jesus, and John inserted between law and grace a particular uh, dispensation, a different type of man he was, and he was introducing the grace dispensation. Now, Jesus Christ was the Holy Ghost embodied. He was full of the Holy Ghost. If John was full of the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb, dare we say less of Jesus. Now, here's what happens. You see, when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we are flooded with God's presence. Now, when God sent the flood in the days of Noah... He sent it by rain. The reason why is because no particular river or no particular rain in a particular area could be big enough and powerful enough to flood the world. You see, it can rain and rain and rain and rain and rain in a general locality. 
but it will never raise the ocean level. Now, what I get out of this is we got River 1, River 2, River 3, River 4. You see, the devil connects to our soul by various channels. What are some of those channels? We see that Solomon explains this. He said, the eye is not full or satisfied, rather, with seeing. What we see, this is a channel. It is a river to the soul of man. The ear is a river to the soul of man. In other words, we see things that we ought not see. And we don't have enough sense to turn our head or close our eyes. And there is a real desire when we see those things. We hear things that we ought not hear. And we do not have enough sense to stop our ears. Now John explains it like this. He said the sin that enters into man, into the soul of man, enters like this. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But I want to point out one thing. The devil is not omnipresent. Now, omnipresent means he is not everywhere. He is not omnipotent. That simply means that he does not have all power. He is not omniscient. That simply means that he does not know everything. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is omnipotent. And only God is omniscient. God is everywhere. Now let's go back to Noah's flood just for a few moments. The way that God flooded the world was that he sent a worldwide rain. Now, when the worldwide rain came, the ocean level was lifted to such a point that the entire world became an ocean. But not only was it a worldwide rain, the Bible says the fountains of the deep opened up. Evidently, someplace in the middle of this earth, there must be water. And so the fountains of the deep opened up, and water gushed out. In other words, there was water coming from above, and there was water coming from beneath. And it didn't make any difference where you went, friend, it was raining. And it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, this is the way that God works on the soul of man. The reason why that God can satisfy the soul of man is because he pours out or baptizes one with the Holy Ghost. He rains his spirit down from above. But not only that, the fountains of the deep are also opened up. So that the Spirit of the Lord that comes to you does not come through one, two, or three channels as Satan enters a man because Satan is not omnipresent. Only God is. The Bible says, The wind bloweth where it listeth. Thou hearest the sound thereof, but thou canst not tell from whence it cometh, nor where it goeth. 
So is every man. Every man. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You see, God can rain down His Spirit from above. But it can also come from beneath. It can come from both sides. In fact, it comes from so many different directions that you don't know where it's coming from. Why? Because God is omnipresent. Now, Satan is not omnipresent. But God is omnipresent. Now, you see, when Jesus Christ was born, He was born full of the Holy Ghost. He was filled up. He was running over with the Holy Ghost. This is the reason why that at the, at the age of 12, he was able to go into the temple and astound the scribes and the lawyers with his teaching. Why? Because the Holy Ghost was flowing from him. Now, as water will reach its lowest level, Satan still having a connection to my soul then that simply means that if the level of the Holy Spirit in my heart recesses to a particular point, that the rivers that come into the ocean, they will start flowing back into my soul. But if my soul is full, then it backs up into the rivers and holds back the forces of iniquity that would seek its lowest point of gravitation in my soul. So the key to living a life that is totally overcoming of satanic forces and powers is to keep the Holy Ghost flooding back up the rivers of iniquity that are connected to this fleshly form. Praise God. Now, you can see this to a degree in a small lake. Now, you can go over to Lake Monona or Lake Mendota, and while it's raining all over Lake Mendota and all around the area, the tributaries that come back in to that lake, you will find that as the level of the lake rises, then the waters are pushed back out into the tributaries, and after a while you have mass flooding in a particular area. Now that's what happens to our soul when the Holy Ghost comes upon us. That's what happened in the days of Noah when it was raining over the entire earth. Now the reason why the devil cannot flood your soul is because that there is a tremendous volume of the Spirit, whether it be of God or the devil, that constantly leaves an individual. Now, to explain this, you look at an ocean. Do you know the reason why? That the rivers, even though they're swollen and they're running downhill, do you know the reason why they cannot raise the ocean level? Three-fourths of the planet Earth is covered with water. And there is a tremendous volume of water that's constantly leaving the ocean. That's where the rains come from to start with. And so there are thousands and thousands and thousands of tons of water that are evaporating back up into the sky. And for it to rain only in a particular area and run through only in a particular area, 
then the ocean level will never, never, never be filled. And the reason why that Satan cannot satisfy, he cannot baptize the soul, is because that constantly, even though there is a flood of iniquity going in an individual, there is also a flood of iniquity that's going out of an individual. And because that Satan is not omnipresent, he can never raise the level of the ocean. But you see, God can flood your soul from all over. He can cause rain to fall all over your soul. He can also cause the fountains of the deep to open up. He can create a flooding in your soul. And even though there is a constant deliverance of righteousness that comes from the soul of a man, when it starts raining upon him, the volume coming in is always greater than the volume going out. And so he can back up the waters into the tributaries of iniquity and hold them there. That's the grace of God. Praise God, praise God. Now all you have to do, friend, to backslide is just stop the waters from flooding your soul. All you have to do is just stop the fountains of deep from opening up. And you will find in a few days, as the waters regress, you will find that the floods of iniquity from satanic forces will always find a way into the heart and the soul of man. Now this gets me down to the point of repentance. <clears throat> now I think that this is such a, such a great subject that's taught in the Bible. Sometimes we feel that, that uh, once we repent, that's all we have to do. It's a one-time thing. That's not true. I am reminded of a situation that I have observed back in, in the oil field of East Texas. They pump oil from deep down in the surface of the earth, but when they pump it out, it's not pure oil. It has a lot of other things in it. One thing that uh, is in abundance far below the surface of the earth is brine water or salt water. So right outside of most all of the oil wells in East Texas, you will find separators. Now what happens is oil and water do not mix, and so there is a particular level in which they can drain off all the salt water. So that, so that uh, the pure oil can, can, can continue to flow. And the storage tanks that you see are 100% crude oil. It has not yet been refined, but nevertheless it's 100%. The separator makes a difference. And if you don't have a separator, and you pump one of those big storage tanks in, uh, pump it full rather, you will have included in that a number of impure uh, uh, ingredients. Then when it goes to the refinery, it has to be separated someplace down the road. And if it's not separated, it becomes a very costly thing indeed for the refineries to separate it. Now I find a parallel there. That in our soul, when we allow some of the iniquity from the tributaries to find a, an avenue down into our soul, and it just comes automatically... 
All you have to do is just stop praying and stop repenting and such. It will come into your soul. So it is possible that inside of a man's soul that he does have the Spirit of the Lord there, but he also has some impure ingredients from the world of iniquity that have leaked by, escaped by, the floodwaters of grace. And so repentance is the separator that takes away the unwanted impure particles. Now this is necessary that the separator is continually working and that is repentance. You see, it's like putting a sump pump in your basement. You can keep your basement dry if you keep the power on the sump pump. But you can't keep it dry if the power is not on the sump pump. And you can't keep your soul clean and pure unless you're plugged into the power of God and the power of repentance that will separate and pump out iniquity every day, every day, every day, every day. Praise God. And the secret to Jesus' successful life that was void of iniquity was that every day he went before God. He who knew no sin, he who never sinned, he who never laid his life out openly before Satan, he constantly, however, went. In fact, when he prayed, he taught us like this. Forgive us of our trespasses. Can you feature a man who had never sinned in his whole life? Asking the Father to forgive him while he had never, never, never committed a sin? What was he doing? He was keeping the sump pump, the separator, running all the time. He wanted to make sure that nothing was collected. And so when Satan went one day and opened up his soul and looked inside... Why, there was nothing in there but pure spirit. It was the Spirit of God all the way. Now, just like you cannot mix oil and water, you can't mix iniquity and righteousness. You can't do it. And this is the reason why, however, that inside of the soul of a man, sometimes there is a mixture. Now, you, you say, well, there is a mixture. Well, you have the two ingredients in your soul, but they cannot mix and they cannot blend. So as a result, the man is not just half good. He has moments in which he can be extremely good, but he also has moments in which he can be extremely bad. And if you want to find somebody who is a confused person indeed, you find a person who is double-minded. Now, when James speaks of a double-minded man, that's exactly what he is speaking of. That's exactly what he is speaking of. Now, Jesus said, from the same fountain, or I say Jesus the Apostle says, from the same fountain there cannot come forth both bitter and sweet. Now, he's talking about at the same time there can't come forth both bitter and sweet. 
You can't look at a man and say, well, he's good, and at the same time say he's bad. Now, he may be good today and bad tomorrow. But there's no in-between. And a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This is the reason why that some of us can act like angels on Sunday and devils on Monday. Why? Because we have not kicked the pump in, the separator. In other words, we haven't gone before God and said, God, forgive me. You see... We have a tendency to go before God and lie prostrate before Him when we know that we have sin in our heart. But we need to do this even before we have knowledge that it's there. That's what Jesus did. And people need to learn how to repent even when they don't have a knowledge Of their sin. You see, Job was a man who was extremely sensitive to God. And Job had this particular pattern. He offered up sacrifices daily for himself. And the Bible says also him being the priest of his household, being responsible for his children, he offered up sacrifices for the sins that they might have committed. In other words, we want to make sure that we take care of this, whether they have sinned or not, I'm not for sure. But there's always the possibility. And so what am I going to do, Job says? I'm going to offer up the sacrifice every day for the sin that they might have committed. Not the sin they have committed. Maybe they did or maybe they didn't, but the possibility is always there. And Job was so careful and so sensitive that he was going to make sure it was taken care of. David prayed like this, Reveal to me, Lord, my secret sins. Now, David, I know there's such a thing as covering sin. It becomes a secret to everybody else. But David, because that he had fallen, because he sinned one day and didn't realize what was happening to him, Because sin is so blinding that once he found that place of forgiveness, his constant cry was this. Forgive me, Lord, of my secret sin. In other words, if I'm doing something that I'm not for sure that is wrong, I want you to look in. I want you to judge that sin. I want you to forgive me of it. I want you to take it away because I don't want to make the mistake that I made years ago. It was for this reason that David became a man after God's own heart. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Now, I've spoken to you concerning 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, but I would like to just cover this uh, again for the benefit of some of you. You may say, Brother Grant, do you feel like that That uh, we've got a whole lot of people here who have need of repent, a repentance? Yes, that's why I'm preaching this. And you may say, well, I didn't know you felt that way. No, I feel that way by myself. 
In fact, I feel that way about Brother Rutherford. I feel that way about Brother O'Neill. I think that we all need to repent more often than what we think we need to repent. See, now, <clears throat> how can I know that I have repented? Now, there is a way I think that you can know that you've repented. Now, when you're originally filled with the Holy Ghost, the evidence of that filling is they speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives them the utterance. Now, to mature in the Spirit, according to Galatians 5, we have the fruits of the Spirit. Now, see, you can be talking in tongues and not be mature in that Spirit. See? See? Uh, I planted an apple tree in my backyard about three or four years ago. So far, I haven't had any apples. Now, last year, I had a couple little nubbins, you know, just little things that came on there and and I just doctored them up and sprayed them and did everything I knew to do, but they fell off anyway. And uh, <clears throat> it takes a long time for an apple tree to bring forth good apples. It takes a long time for some Christians, even though the life of the Spirit's there, to mature enough in the Spirit that they have the fruit of the Spirit. See? Now, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, long-suffering, meekness, kindness, temperance, faith, and so forth. Maybe I named them all. Anyway, I ran out. <clears throat> but uh, at, at any rate, now, you can tell if you're maturing in the Spirit by examining your life in the light of the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, uh, am I a person that loves a lot? Can I love? Can I love everybody? Is it possible for me to actually love those that despitefully use me. Somebody comes along and really throws you for a curve. What do I feel in my heart? Do I feel compassion or do I feel bitterness to get, get even with them? Now listen to me. See? Somebody comes along and tells something real bad on me. And I know it's not the truth and I know it's a lie. Do I seek automatic vindication, even at the expense of putting this person down, or do I drop the matter? All y'all listening to me? It's getting a little heavy. You see, it gets real quiet when it gets heavy. So, I really, I don't expect you to say amen too much for a little while. But, uh, <clears throat> and you can go all the way down, see, the fruit of the Spirit. And you can measure your spiritual maturity by the fruit of the Spirit. Now, a lot of people measure it by talking in tongues. Well, now you may be able to talk in tongues and flood over with that Spirit, but you see the fruit of the Spirit is not resident in your life. My apple tree that does not have apples is as much an apple tree as my neighbor's that produces bushels of apples. In fact, he has to go out there and literally shake some of them off to keep the limbs from breaking. But my tree has got as much life as his has. 
Now there is a time, Jesus explained, in which you look at that tree and say, Now you've been living long enough, and if you don't produce fruit, you're getting out of this vineyard. And I'm not interested in keeping that apple tree just for a shade tree. There are other trees that make better shade trees. But you see, we measure measure spiritual productivity in the light of the fruit of the Spirit. We measure life in the tree in the light of speaking with tongues and spiritual gifts. Now, just as the Bible has given us particular ways in which we can measure the life of the Spirit in us, The Bible also gives us fruit of repentance that we can measure repentance by. See, when John the Baptist preached, he said, Bring forth meat, fruit under repentance. Now, the reason why he preached this, he didn't want people just coming up there and looking down and seeing them baptized and say, Oh, that looks good. I think I'd like to get wet too. He said, show me the fruit of your repentance. Now, when repentance is mature in our heart, you will find certain fruits. It's possible to repent, but not thoroughly repent. It's possible to repent, but not repent in a biblical fashion. In other words, You can repent over one sin and leave a bunch of them undone. The reason why that we question people who repent at the altar to find out if there is thorough repentance is because we are going to take and bury them and we don't want to bury somebody that's sick. We want to bury people who are dead indeed unto sin. You see, you can take part of the sin out, and they just, they're just still a morbid individual. They're sick. But we want to make sure that they're cleaned up inside. We want to make sure that all the sin's been cast out. Then the individual is void of life of the spirit world. See, there's no leaven growing in his heart now. He's cleaned up. He's dead indeed unto sin. Now, this is a reason why that that we'll talk to people and question them. If you see a person who comes down the altar, now listen to me, and maybe you would even be one of these people. If you came down the altar and you were able to weep and cry about certain things, but on the other hand, you did not really manifest enough desire to seek God for the Holy Ghost, you have not thoroughly repented. Now you see, different types of of plants mature on different levels. The reason why that John said, bring forth meat, fruit under repentance, when the person has fully repented, he can look right down at them and tell it. See? If you notice in your lawn, let's say if you're re-landscaping your lawn, well, let's go to the garden. This would be a good experience a good example because most of us have experience in this area. You can go out and you can you can till your garden, put the fertilizer in it and everything, plant 
the seed in the rose and you come out two days later and your whole garden looks green. Now you know you didn't plant seed over the whole garden, but it's green. But when you look down the rows where you planted the seed, there is no evidence of any plant life there. In other words, inside of that soil, there are seeds that will come up and mature quickly. Grass seed will come up quicker than corn seeds. See? And this is true also in the spirit world. The fruit of repentance is evident in just a moment's time. The fruit of the Spirit is not evident quite that soon. So when a person repents, we like to examine whether they have the fruit of repentance. Now the fruit of repentance, notice this. Verse 10 of 2 Corinthians 7. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. In other words, first there is godly sorrow. Is the person sorry over the fact that he's a sinner? Is there some weeping and some tears? Secondly, Verse 11 says, For behold this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort. What carefulness it wrought in you. In other words, there is a carefulness that comes over your soul once you've repented. You have cast out all of that iniquity. You pumped it out of your soul by the separator of repentance. And there's a very carefulness on your part that those tributaries don't empty that garbage back inside of your soul. In other words, strong convictions become evident in your life. People who repent and their convictions are still weak, they still drink and smoke and such, they have not thoroughly repented and they will never have a life of ease and satisfaction in God. Now you notice my scripture that I read in John 14. Jesus was talking about peace. And he was saying that peace is predicated upon this particular principle. That your heart be void of sin. And that the prince of this world cannot find a part of his kingdom in your heart. And some of the most confused individuals in the world are people who have started on their road to live right, but they haven't committed themselves to go all the way. No strong convictions. Let's go on. What clearing of yourself? In other words, there is a real clearing of yourself. You feel clean inside. While you do feel clean when you're baptized... You see, some people repent and they mistake repentance for salvation because there's such a load of guilt that comes off of you when you repent that they say, hey, I must, I, something happened to me when I prayed. And so they say, well, I accepted the Lord in my heart because some preacher told me or some, some child of God in some church told me, listen, you do not receive Bible salvation 
automatically when you repent. Now it's possible that you could. Some people do and some don't. You follow what I'm saying there? But just because that there was a load of guilt that came off of your soul when you prayed, don't mistake that for full Bible salvation. Cornelius would be a typical example of this, who was a man that was a devout man, a man that prayed to God always. He was cleaned up and pure. In fact, he was so cleaned up and pure that while Peter yet spake the words, he was just preaching to him and getting him ready, and Cornelius didn't even ask what he had to do to be saved. Now, if you notice, the Bible says that Peter was to come down and tell him what he needed to do to be saved. But while Peter was just preaching about the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that the Holy Ghost fell on them. He was ready already. All he needed was somebody to just come down there and exhort him and build up his faith and talk to him about the thing that he knew nothing of. All right, what indignation. In other words, indignation. This is talking about a real vehement hate for sin. It's there. All right? Yea, what fear? There is respect for God and a reverence for God. Every now and then people get where they don't respect the house of God. They don't respect each other. They don't respect God. They have no real fear of God. They can read the Bible and it doesn't mean much. Okay. What vehement desire. I've seen people who have sought the Lord for the Holy Ghost for years. Now somebody recently asked me, he said, what do you think about somebody who seeks the Holy Ghost for five years? I said, they have not lived a repented life. You see, our Pentecostal jargon, cliches and such, we say, well, he's a good man. He's a repentant man. He's living a repentant life. Listen, if he lives a repentant life, I mean thorough repentance, he's going to receive the Holy Ghost. Because, you see, desire is created in your heart when you repent. And... If you happen to be, now I'm going to say this, and I want to, I want to say it in all kindness, but I want you to listen to it because I'm, ta- I'm talking to you about something very vital. It's the Bible. If you were baptized years ago, months ago, or weeks ago, and you don't have a desire to press into the kingdom of God, you know what your problem is? You are not repenting. Well, somebody told me, somebody challenged me, he said, But Brother Grant, you don't understand this individual. This individual never misses church. They pay their tithing. They sit on the pew. They clap their hands and they do everything. But my Bible says that all of this is as filthy rags in the sight of God. Friend, our holiness comes from above. Praise God. And when you thoroughly repent, there's going to be a charge inside of your heart to get a hold of God like you've never had before. There'll be a hunger there. There'll be a desire there. You see, you'll see your need of God. And when that desire leaves, that simply means that you are allowing the floodgates 
of the tributary to, to leak things inside of your soul, and you are not separating the impure things that are coming inside of your soul. You need to leave it empty until the Spirit of the Lord floods in. And you can't let it leak in. And the hardest thing in the world for a person to do is to live a repented life without receiving the Holy Ghost. Now you're talking about a lot of praying, a lot of seeking God, and a lot of getting hold of God. You're going to have to do it. You know why? Because that water always seeks that lower level. And it's going to try to come in. If there's nothing inside that's pushing against it, Nothing inside that's trying to push the water back up the tributaries or in the rivers of your soul and holding back iniquity. You've got a job on your hands for sure. And this is the reason why that I believe that if people knew what repentance was all about and they'd thoroughly repent, that God would flood their soul with His Spirit. He wants to do that. And I had people come up to me and say, Well, whenever God gets ready, He's going to fill me with the Holy Ghost. Friend, He was ready 2,000 years ago when He died upon the cross. When He put out the Holy Ghost in the upper room, friend, it was for the whole world. Praise God. God's been ready a long time. He's waiting on you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. You'll have to excuse me for a moment. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. When I see my convictions are getting weak, and I rise in the morning, there's no desire in my heart to do the work of the Lord. When I see iniquity all around and there's no indignation, then I know, John, it's time for you to go back to that altar. You need to separate what's in your heart that's not right and you need to pump it out because when you take that and get it out of your heart the flood of God's glory is going to come again and you're going to push back the forces of hell you're going to flood the rivers that come to your soul you see I am still an earthly and I live here on this planet earth Paul said oh wretched man that I am who shall deliver me from this body of death he understood that the devil had a straight river from the gates of hell to his body, to his robe of flesh, and going into his soul. And he was crying out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall separate me from that river? But this is what he said, I put myself under every day, lest by any means when I preach the gospel to others, that I myself might become a castaway. In other words, I'm going to thoroughly pray. I'm going to thoroughly die every day. I'm going to keep the pump of my soul working. I'm going to keep it all pumped out so that the Spirit of God will continue to flow so that the rivers will be flooded and I can force back the powers of iniquity. The Bible says when Satan shall come in like a flood, God shall raise up a standard. Hallelujah. God's grace will raise up a standard and hold back the forces of iniquity. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Yea, what zeal. People just want to sit down and come to church and that's all. After a while they don't even want to do that. Hallelujah. 
You talk to them and say, well, I just talked in tongues last night. Yeah, you still got enough life to talk in tongues. But I'll guarantee you one thing, you know. If you take an apple tree and you pour poison down on the root system, you know what's going to happen? The apples are going to fall off one by one. And you know what happens to Christians? They got enough life to talk in tongues. But there's no real fruit on the tree. Why? Because down in the root system, there's some iniquity. And the apples are falling off one by one by one by one by one by one. Their desire is gone. They don't hate sin. They live under guilt and condemnation. They hold grudges against people. They're quick to anger. One day they're talking in tongues and the next day they're acting like devils. What's wrong? You know what's wrong. You know what's wrong. You need to pump that stuff out and let God's glory flood your soul. Praise God. You know what I feel like? I feel like I could preach right on through lunch. (laughs) Listen, one of the greatest thrills in all the world is to know that you're clean inside and you don't have any feelings against people. That you've got a red hot desire to do the work of the Lord. And to know that you can get down on your knees and pray effectual fervent prayers. To know that you can go right to the gates of hell and say, hey, there's a soul there and I'm, I'm here after him. I'm not afraid of you, devil. Hallelujah. Why? Because I've been baptized with the Spirit. And this thing's flowing out of me. It's backing up your iniquity in those rivers out here someplace. Oh, hallelujah! Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Would you stand with me right now? Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Oh, glory. Let's reach out to the Lord right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Let's get that sump pump working in our soul. Let's separate that salt water from the oil of the Holy Ghost. Oh, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory to God, glory to God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thy will be done in earth. God's kingdom is in earthen vessels. God, have your way in my life. Oh, praise God. Do you feel the Spirit moving? I feel like somebody like to step out and come down here and surrender their heart to the Lord this morning. Come on, right now. Those rivers that are running into your soul that are filled with iniquity, friend, they're going to destroy you. That's what it's designed to do. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name or filled with the Holy Ghost, why don't you come on right now? Oh, hallelujah, come on right now. 
Brother Grant was not trying to tickle your ears nor preach something to make you feel good. But I'll guarantee you one thing, if you'll do what I'm talking about, there will come to you a peace and a joy that surpasses all understanding. Praise God. Come on. Some have come. Others need to come. Step right out right now, would you? Come on, right now. Why don't you come on and give your heart to the Lord? People are kneeling all over the auditorium. Why don't you come on and pray? Why don't you seek His face? Hallelujah. All right. Why don't you turn then and kneel right where you are? There seems to be a trend here. Most people are doing this. After you have prayed, you may consider yourself dismissed. Dismissed.